You're listening to Electioneering with Mark Lucas and me, Dominic Mingella. This week we share our take on Labour's controversial attack ads and ask whether the Labour Party is psychologically addicted to the moral high ground. And if it isn't, are these attacks an effective strategy? And were they even a deliberate strategy? Mark is so rude about Keir Starmer we've had to deploy the bleep tone for the first time and we worry that the preoccupation with the Red Wall and Labour's lost socially conservative voters is preventing the party from welcoming disillusioned, socially liberal Tories who might want to come across to Labour. We should talk about the attack ads and whether it's obviously whether it's right or wrong, effective or ineffective. And then I reckon there's the wider question, I suppose, of what they can do. Mm. Or, you know, if you think that's not right, or if you think it's part of a strategy, what should the rest of the strategy be? And I think it's interesting to see what the reactions look like, because um, some of them will get into it, I suppose, but some of them are calling for... You know, why can't we have the positive vision that we want and we still don't know what Kia stands for? We have started now, haven't we? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, so I think some of the complainants are saying this isn't the right way forward and what we need is not a negative campaign but a positive campaign and the key issue about you know, if you want to demarcate Sunak and Kia because they're se- seemingly too close and that kind of gives the advantage to the incumbent and he's got the apparatus of the government and will have some form of record in government whereas Starmer won't if you want to de- demarcate your, your guy from, from their guy what you should be doing is delivering a positive strategy and we, we talked about that before haven't we, what is that and when is it safe to do it and what does it look like really and how detailed does it have to be and how do you look like someone with a vision is stuff we've talked about before and there are other people who are sort of who you know you can see it as a as the opposite of the strategy, which I think we kind of hit upon last time we spoke, which is a kind of steady as she goes, be strong on the economy, don't push anything else out just yet. You know, just hold, it's, the, it's, the, it's the holding the Ming vase, isn't it? The, the Roy Hattersley thing. Hold the Ming vase and steady as she goes kind of idea. And it's so there's speculation that I've read, you know, I don't haven't heard it personally, but I think this is probably true. The, the, the sort of Pat McFadden, Rachel Reeves camp is in the steady as she goes, hold the line camp. And then there are others saying, you know, we've got to move away from the Deborah Mattinson view of the world and actually put forward some proactive policy. And that's the kind of yeah. central tension inside the Labour Party. In a way, I think that's secondary. I'd like to talk about that second. I think we'll all, I, think, I reckon we'll come back around to that almost every time we <laughs> get together. But I think what we should begin with, what these attack ads are and what, what we think about them. And so the, the one that got all the controversy has that picture of Rishi and it says, do you think adults convicted of sexually assaulting children should go to prison? Rishi Sunak doesn't. And then underneath that it says, under the Tories, four and a half thousand adults convicted of sexually assaulting children under 16 served no prison time. And then under pressure, Keir Starmer has said, well, I'm, you know, I stand by that because they've presided over 13 years of the justice system falling apart and the, there's no police and there's no court processes broken down and there's not legal aid anymore and, you know, basically the whole thing has gone to pot mm. and Labour have got a plan to have 13,000 more cops. And I'm certain that they would, would value the a fairer justice system can't imagine that Keir Starmer's Labour Party would tolerate the state of 
collapse in the justice system that we've that we've got. But the question is, is it right to suggest that Rishi Sunak doesn't mind if doesn't mind people going around sexually assaulting children, which is the um, and it's clearly I would say clearly untrue that it's highly unlikely that he believes that, and so it doesn't have that sort of kernel of truth quality to it where you think oh yeah hang on a minute he is a bit he is a bit vulnerable on that isn't he mm. i mean sure this government is vulnerable on justice but do you think oh yeah that's the difference between rishi and Keir? not really in my mind it sort of brings together the criticism of you know the, the awful attack on, on starmer suggesting that he was instrumental in jimmy savile getting away with his crimes um, which led to people attacking him and David Lammy in Westminster the next day. And that was grotesque, and we all howled, and we thought that was awful. And actually, I suppose this feels pretty much the same. And certainly on first blush, you're thinking, hang on a minute, that doesn't sound like Labour at all. That's not what we do. We have the moral high ground. And I think it was interesting that he doubled down, Kirstarmer, Mm. And I don't know whether he doubled down because he thought it was right or whether he thought, I've got to go one way or the other. And like, I've either got to sack someone in the <coughs> media team or I've got to say, no, 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 this is what we're doing and we're doing it deliberately because we want to highlight the issues. And it certainly has given them the gift of attention, right? Which I think is Alistair Campbell's point. If they don't do stuff like this, then they don't get heard. And I suppose there's quite a lot to unpick in all of this, but I suppose what I think is, or I'm beginning to think is, hang on a minute, you and I have always said, with the weight of the media and the masses of money that the Tories have ranged against progressive politicians and thinkers, it's 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 a bare-knuckle fight, and the sooner the opposition wakes up to it being a bare-knuckle fight and takes the gloves off and stops trying to play by the Queensbury rules when everyone else is kicking in the nuts, the better... And we only wish they would see how dirty the fight was and adapt accordingly. And here they are fighting dirty and it feels really awkward, feels really uncomfortable. <laughs> and so I suppose, be interested to hear what you think, you could say, well, let's fight dirty and see what happens. Um, or you could say, we have lost the moral high ground so that if they were to say, you know, Yabu sucks, your guy, your guy allowed Timmy Savile to get away with it then we can't complain when he gets harassed when he's out in public because we're doing the same to their guy. And have we actually lowered the tone? And is that what people want? Or do they really want maturity in politics? And isn't that what Keir Starmer hitherto stood for? That he's the kind of straight guy while Boris Johnson was telling him he was Captain Hindsight, Captain Hindsight, and just, just calling him names at the dispatch box. And Starmer rarely stooped that low to fight back. But on the other hand, if you think of what happened to Killer, can you think of what happened to Miliband and think of what happened to Jeremy Corbyn? The right you know, the right wing just had a field day with those guys and they will do and they have done with Starmer too. Where's our defence? Where's the where's the progressive and left of centre defence to that stuff? Um, and fight back. When it became clear that the Tories were going to fight on culture wars my first instinct was to drop a note to the Labour Party to say, well, can we find out what, how they're going to fight and what, what's our answer, what we're going to say and how do we get ahead of that fight rather than waiting for the mud to stick? You know, what do we do that is proactive? Which is a lot like a bid to, you know, looking back, 
that's a lot like a bid to come out fighting, fight dirty, produce the sort of stuff that they've produced. So I'm caught between thinking, I asked for this and now I've got it and I don't like it. Yeah. And I suppose another part of me thinks, well, and perhaps in defence of my lily-livered response to it, is that it's just not very good. You know, it doesn't speak to a truth about Rishi Sunak. And I think there are truths about him in which he could be vulnerable. You know, like he's he's um, appointed Suella Braverman and stood by her when she's come up with her racist guff. And, you know, as we said before, he might have been under pressure to do a deal to appease the, the right wing of the party to um, appoint her as a, as a condition of being supported in his bid to be Prime Minister. But she, I mean, she's just unstoppable. And he's standing, he's not reprimanding her, he's standing by her and seems to be fueling it and quite happy for her to be the mm. mouthpiece of racism in the party. So I reckon he could be vulnerable on that and that would be a point of difference between him and Keir Starmer. It would have been before this week, you know. Whereas now, it feels like we're doing the stuff that we really hate, you know, and that there's a complaint today that more senior Tories have come out to complain about how racist Suella Braverman's public pronouncements have been. And there's a complaint that they aren't coming out to say who they are. They're just, you know, briefing off the record. And why haven't they got the guts to come out and say, we don't like what she's doing, this is harming us. And you think, well, hang on a minute, the Tories themselves are uncomfortable with this kind of cheap racist stuff that's coming out. And here we are sailing really close to the same sort of ideas and sailing really close to, you know, going really close to the sort of grooming gangs and stuff like that, which is, we know is basically racism dressed up as, you know, it's just a racist dog whistle. Well, appealing to our worst instincts. Appealing least, to our yeah. worst instincts. And here we are going super close to that stuff. So it's a really interesting, it's a really fascinating thing. And it doesn't come alongside, you know, we've got elections coming up. So is this a dry run for the, the larger campaign? But it doesn't sit alongside much in the way of alternative vision. There's no pairing of attack plus positive offer. Although having said that, I've just shown you a little little ad for their um, breakfast club Very policy, nice which they too. want to put out next week. But um, yeah, so I'm really fascinated to sort of find a way through this and yeah, it's about ten things there. There's a load, there loads, and loads and loads and loads. Yeah. Um, I mean, I reckon in the widest picture. I think it's totally fine to attack the opposition vigorously and I think it's totally fine to do it with an edge to it and I think it's totally fine um, to push it to the outer limits. I think that's all totally fine and I think we actually haven't done that enough and I would say in my view that the Labour Party is psychologically addicted to the moral high ground and it would often take that over victory. Mm -hmm. And so it's proved. That's why I keep losing. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think the Labour Party is psychologically addicted to the moral high ground. Not just like as a party, but actually most of the people I know who are in it, and probably including me, mm. likes to feel I'm the good person here, mm. I'm the noble person. Mm. And maybe a lot for a lot of people, including me, that's why you join the Labour Party, because you want to be the good person. Mm. But that is a bit debilitating when you're up against someone who's ready to street fight, you know. Mm. And, and that's what that's what happens every, pretty much every time over. 
and certainly in the things I've been involved in, we've pulled or watered down or neutered so many strong attacks for fear of being offensive. Mm. And when you look back, you think, what the, why the hell did we do that? No one would have really cared in the end. Mm. So, like Dave the Chameleon thing that we did, this was in 2010, which started out as a really strong attack on him, and then it got a bit softer and a bit softer. So by the time it went out, mm. it was actually almost like Paul <laughs> as a character, <laughs> and suddenly Dave the Chameleon was pointless. Mm. 2010 election lost, narrowly, really, even though um, probably we could have lost by more. We put up a fight in the end. And then that leads to austerity, Brexit, Cameron, Truss, Boris, that, mm. that, you know, all of that is a consequence of losing that election. And we didn't fight hard enough. It mm. might not have got us over the line, but mm. we could have fought bloody damn sight harder given the importance of the things that were, you know, that we were fighting for and the things that were at stake. So I don't think you can fight hard enough when you, those are the things that we're talking about. The execution you had is another thing. Maybe we'll talk about that uh, in a bit. Mm. But then you've got to make, in a way, make a choice, and it's a choice for the leader. Are we a street fighting party? You know, now are, are we those people? And I would say, if you could be professional, efficient, ruthless, effective, got your foot on their throat, and don't—I don't mean that in a toxic masculinity way but mm. you know you attack them hard and consistently and you just that's what you do mm. I think that's totally I think that's a good thing and I'd much rather be that than be oh dear we've lost again but we can walk away feeling quite good about ourselves I'd always take and I'm sure you would as well take yeah. take the former Got to you, win. Know. Got to, it, you have to win you absolutely have to win that I mean that's how I got to know you when I, I phoned up Alistair Campbell and said People are telling me, you know, we've got to go out for a for a for a cycle, and let the Tories own the recession that is going to follow the banking crisis, and Labour regroups and comes back strong. And, and I just thought, wow, you know, that's a terrible idea. How mad is what that? damage yeah. are they going to do? Um, can't allow that to happen without a fight. Well, you know, I'm not going to stand by and watch that happen. And you know, all of our worst fears came true. So you've definitely, definitely got to fight, you know, absolutely about winning. So I suppose the question then sort of evolves into, is it a winning strategy? I think there's, it's interesting because I heard someone do a, in a phone-in, phone up and say, I don't want this, I don't like it. What I wanted in politics was a guy, you know, we've had too much of this going on in our popular culture at the moment. And what I wanted, you know, was the, you know, as we dubbed him the bank manager from Guildford that's the guy I wanted for Prime Minister and I don't want a guy who's going to do that but you know be careful what you don't want in a way because you know yeah. <laughs> and you, you, you might not end up with him at all <laughs> um, so that's what you, that's your point isn't it you, you can be principled but then you might be principled in opposition again and nobody in their right minds could argue from that position so I guess the question then just becomes was it the right strategy and I suppose the justification that it was because we're talking about it and everyone's talking about it and it gives Labour a little bit of a chance to make their more sophisticated points could be could be good. I mean, I think the thing that you touch on there is, is the most important thing, that if that's a strategy, look, we're going to come out and be tough and we're going to say it like it is and we're going to, you know, we're not going to um, pull our punches... 
I think the thing is, like he said, I don't regret anything, but he's sort of got to really own all of it then and say, actually, we are, we're going to fight this election, you know, up front. There's a lot at stake and, and we're mm. not going to um, pussyfoot around. We're going to tell it like it is and we're going to go for them. And if they go for us, we'll go for them. Mm. But the thing is, the whole like tenor of Starmer up to this point has been something totally mm. different to that. So mm. now I'm thinking, if, if that's what he is, I don't mind that. Mm. But I'm not sure that is what he is. Mm. And now we've opened up, I don't know what he is. Yeah. So you've actually opened up a bigger hole there almost than, than you filled, if you see what I mean. Mm. Because now I'm thinking... Do you do know, you think, can I ask you, yeah. do, you think, do you think he was bounced into it then? Do you think it wasn't a strategy that the media team got carried away, showed a few of their ads, got them signed off, didn't show that one? They thought, we're going to relate everything to Rishi, right? Because we have to connect 13 years of Tory misrule with this guy who's presenting himself as the new guy, right? So it was link, 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 right? Is that feasible, do you think? That they, they went for that, it was a fuck-up, and 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 Stan was bounced into defending or... I've been surprised if it was agreed in advance by him. And if it was, I'd have been really surprised that it came out like it did and then it was defended as it was and, you know... If you were to say, what's a good way of doing this? It's a bit of an odd way to, to do it, isn't it? Like, something feels not right. Mm. So I reckon, yeah, mostly in politics, if you're choosing between cock-up or conspiracy, you're choosing <laughs> cock-up, aren't you, really? Yeah. Um, and I reckon that is what it is. They're putting out 10 or 12 of these sort of things a day. I mm. uh, don't know what the sign-off process is, but I doubt Keir Starmer is looking at every one of them. Mm. Uh, this one's gone out, it's blown up. They've gone bloody hell, but mm. we've got to own it now. It's too late, you mm. know. And then, because he didn't own it immediately, and he didn't own it in a way that felt considered. It, it was actually, it was quite a late on reaction from him was in it? the, in the thing. That. Yeah, he didn't do it in like the first few hours or even the first day. Mm. It was like two days or whatever when, um, mm. you know, so he was clearly waiting to see. Yeah, just how bad it was. Yeah, to see where <laughs> it would land. Yeah. And and also, if it was like a strategic choice, surely you would you would say that you know you would say right we are now the the, the street fighting people that's that's who we are because we're in it to to win it you know and I think a lot of people would be fine with that if that's what you've gone for mm. but at the moment I feel like for me at least I'm in a weird place because there's this bloke he's a sort of bank managerly. Guildford bloke, as we've said before, I know that his dad did something with tools. I don't think that makes him like you know a geezer, but okay, you know that's what they've tried to kind of propagate. No, no one knows that though, do they? I mean, <laughs> I, I think I, I think we were quite interested in helping them to propagate that yeah. information. But does anyone in the street? It's know not that? really no, gone through, is it? Don't. No. And and that itself doesn't ring particularly true in the end. Cause he is fairly posh, and he is from Islington, and he is mm. a sir, and he is a, you mm. know, DPP, and all of that. So, I was just I was just sort of a little bit getting to know that Keir Starmer, but not a lot, but a bit. And I wanted to know more actually. And now there's this other Keir Starmer who's kind of, you know, he's ready to stick a knife in you, any time, you know, out of the blue. 
But I don't know if it is him because I don't feel like he is that. And so now I think, if I'm the Tories, I'm going to say, do you know what? One day this bloke's Mr. Nice, the next day he'd stab you in the back. One day he's for nationalisation, the next day he's against it. One day, it sort of feels like it's closer to the flip-flopping all over the shop, back and forward kind of mm. persona than it is a choice to become that person, do you know what I mean? Or, mm. or at least show that side of himself um, fully or make it a part of the plan or the campaign. And now it's gone a bit weirder because now they said, oh, we're not going to do it for another bit now. We've done that for a little while. So Have they said that. They've said that, that yeah. So they're not planning anymore, you know, in, in the near future, sort of thing. So uh-huh. now I'm like, yeah, what, what is what is going on here then? Because for me, I'd be happy if Labour Party became ruthless, you know, killer machine that beats Tories, uh, and in order to do that, is not so high and mighty, but still has principles. There's got to be a, a a line below which you won't go and maybe they have gone below it and come on to that mm. but I would say look there's a line below which we won't go but we're not trying to reach the, the mountain top of morality here you know that's not what we're trying to do we're trying to win we're in politics not not ethics uh, and I would be really happy with that I'd like I'd be fully go for it you know let's do it because that's what the how the Tories think I, I mean I'm disappointed that I mean I think as I'm listening to you it's feeling with those little extra bits of info in there about the delay in defending it and now saying they're not going to do do any more for a bit. Because I think the... It's interesting that I think the ongoing ads were actually quite a lot sharper and did have, you know, did have sort of a true ring about them. And, and I know that some of them were um, effectively created by the community. You know, they were sort of... The, sort of the, the ideal attack ad, which is, you know, 13 years of austerity and more of the same from this guy is that what you want it isn't really is it you know actually they they it's proliferated people have put their own versions out which as a sidebar i reckon you know one of the benefits that the tories have that the labor opposition does not have is that they've got this massive army of journalists and um well-funded yeah so-called think tanks and all that stuff to do their dirty work for them and I reckon a Labour strategy ought to be to, if you want to run some attack ads like that and they're, and they're a little bit out there, get someone else to run them. Get an activist group to do some tests for you, see what gets a purchase. Get someone else to do your dirty work for you, see what traction it gets and learn from that. You don't necessarily need to put the Labour brand on all your ideas and... Um, you know they don't seem to be you know given that they don't have that army of journalism and all the red tops and all that stuff pushing their agenda you'd think they'd be quite good at thinking how else do we how else do we get support for our ideas and test our ideas and uh, but they don't in my experience seem to be they seem quite isolated and they don't seem to be reaching out to like-minded progressives and saying you know what guys how about this what do you think about this could you have a go at it for us and do some research for us and try out some ideas and see where we could get get a purchase. And if that's happening, I've got no awareness of that. That's a super good um, point because it feels like, and I'm sure this will also have been the case, people have looked at Australia and gone, oh, you know, up and at them is the way to do it. Mm. And they look at America and go, oh, up and at them is the way to do it. 
and then I suspect probably someone just in the office has done an up and at them and you know and it's just happened sort of mm. by osmosis mm. almost but there's a better lesson to learn especially from America which is that get your pack you know get the outlying groups mm. who are broadly supportive mm. to do some of the hard yards for you because mm. there's no risk for you then and there's only gain if it works mm. and you could they can be a little bit more radical and a little bit uh, more creative and a little bit more exciting with the work and you've got very little risk and you can only gain because mm. yeah if you're on tiktok and you're scrolling through you don't particularly care where it's come from and in fact it's better if it hasn't come from the official source mm. people are quite resistant to that mm. so that concept of if we are going to go tough let's build a, a team to do that a coalition mm. or whatever you call it uh that would be a super smart way mm. to to affect this mm. and probably to get more effective work ultimately more effective messaging out of it so i think yeah i think that's a super good uh, a, a super good point but I also think this this addiction to the moral high ground I think there's another like part to that that makes it that contributes to the reason why we are that is why where Labour Party people mostly are and that's let's say in Australia voting's compulsory right you don't have to get people out to vote they just turn up in England the Labour Party wins when we increase turnout when more people come out mm. that nearly always helps us mm. And the way you get people out is not via this type of campaign. You need some lift, some aspiration, some hope, some positivity, some energy, some youth. All of those sort of things, you're looking for those. So here, if you try and just attack, 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 and you're Labour, which I'm basically in favour of, but I can see how then, come polling day, if you haven't done the other part of it, the other yeah. part of it yeah, you can you shot yourself in the foot because mm. people are going to stay at home and they'll say they're all the same and and you'll lose in a different way. <laughs> That's the bit that worries me is that you know we've been in this place where the policy has been so awful, the corruption and the destruction of our institutions has been absolutely unbelievable and bare, been a brass neck. And then people you put it to people and they say, well, all politicians then what do you expect? They're politicians and and the answer is, I expect better and. Um, they aren't all the same you know I know loads and so do you right. loads of really well-intentioned public serving honourable members of parliament I think it would be really unfortunate if we gave credence to that sort of sloppy you know, lazy view that they're all they're all bent and they're all the same but then are we saying that as long as you've got that sort of positive that, that lift to go alongside the attack Look, I mean, I think, so I suppose what I think is the attacks kind of worked when they were just generally attacks on the Tories, right? Okay, give us some attacks on the Tories, please. And there's there's um, good, you know, how many years as an ordinary guy would you have to work to see the, you know, to earn enough money to see the benefit of the tax giveaway in the last budget? And the answer is like 500 years or something. Which is actually, actually quite a complicated way of saying the tax giveaways are only for the rich and they're not for, for you and me. So that's all good stuff, and that's under under Sunak's supposedly friendlier era government. But the issues are so large and so and so varied that you know where do you start? Actually, what I think is the right brief they set themselves: we've got to start 
associating the mess that we're in with the guy who's in charge. He has been the Chancellor mm. for a long time. He has been a long-term Brexit supporter, so some of this mess that we're in is comes from people like him and people like him supporting a, a sharp retraction in our ability to trade internationally. And unfortunately, he's got himself a little bit of a good name by lessening the effects of the Northern Ireland Protocol and a little bit of a good name by seeming to be the guy who's stewarded us through the aftermath of Truss's, Truss and Kwarteng's cock-up. A little bit of a good name for the pandemic financial support furlough and yeah. that stuff and is managing to hold on to the idea that he's a kind of cuddly fresh new guy who's not you know quite a long way away from the others and a long way away from Johnsonism and how do we actually make sure that the widespread disaffection with the Tories lands appropriately on him very good stuff but I don't think what I've seen of the attack ads has scored on that front. It's been either general Tory stuff, fine, or trying to target him with stuff that you wouldn't think really connected Sticks, with him. Yeah. Definitely we should come back to, um, you know, the, that ad itself and the execution of it and the subject matter of it. But there was something I wanted to... I was thinking about um, what should Labour be doing? So on the one hand, I reckon mm. they definitely, definitely should. Of course they should be pinning the responsibility for the mess that we're in onto the present leadership of the Conservative Party. We might come back to whether or not they've, they've chosen the right method mm. to do that. Um, but then the other side of it is, what are the issues that sh they should be raising? And it feels to me like the public services chaos that we're going through, they've cut themselves off because they don't want to be seen as being in the pocket of the unions. So they're saying... We, we approve of the right to strike, but we sort of wish there weren't strikes and sort of just sort of standing back. And the government's standing back as well as best they can. And it's a really weird place that we're in where there's sort of these just unbelievable strikes that are really massively impactful. Unprecedented nurses' strikes and junior doctors' strikes. And just everywhere you look, people are like, we just can't go on. Mm. And the government taking their time, sitting back and saying, well preposterous to ask for 35% just because your pay's been cut by 35% doesn't mean we can you know restore that so until you're going to be more reasonable than that we just sort of you know just sort of bumble on for a few more weeks see what happens and there's really an interesting vacuum I would say this really ought to be a live thing and it's sort of live on phone-ins it's live for people who are thinking oh I've got to go my dad had to go to the hospital this week with a suspected cellulitis, and we was, what's going to happen? Who's going to who's mm. going to spend two days with him it's at really A and E? Yeah. And is he going to be? Is he going to get seen? And he could, if he's got cellulitis, he's nearly one hundred and two. He might be dead before they get to see him. He might be lying, in, you know, in a, in a corridor somewhere. In fact, hurrah! My dad was seen really, really quickly and looked after. You know, relatively quickly, two three hours. Looked after, and he's by all accounts he's okay. But. Your first thought is, well, better not go to the hospital. Probably just a rash, you know, let's just not go. And I mean, it's really present, I think, for us. And, you know, I I definitely didn't do any DIY with with drills and things this weekend. I let myself off all of that. So I thought, I don't want to be in a place where I'm at King's College <laughs> Hospital. You the know, hedge cutter was going to be electric chainsaw or something. Yeah. 
<laughs> the last time I took someone up there, there was a, the queue for A and E was outside. You couldn't even get into the building, and that was before the strikes. So you know, I don't want to be in that place. It's super real. And why is it not a live conversation? And today, I think the um, um, TBI put out a report about health, and the headline of which is, you know, I mean, it's going to make. I haven't read it. But it's going to make the obvious point, right? That labour is part of the is one of the key elements of the economy you know labor and capital and investment these are the things that make an economy work so if your labor is sick and we're losing 800 deaths excess deaths a week your economy can't thrive because you're even if you didn't just actually value people and their health on its own your economy can't work if your workforce can't work it's so obvious it's mad but when we talk about investment, we think of bridges and machines and factories and nuclear power stations. We don't think about investment in people. And so I'm sure that's what that article will say. But one of the striking things about it was the discrepancy in life expectancy, north and south. Unbelievable, right? So guess how long a guy in, a male born in Kensington and Chelsea, living in Kensington and Chelsea, is predicted to live? What, longer than someone else? Or? Yeah, well, no, just in total. The answer is 95 is it? years. And well, so I'm going to have to move then. Let's all go to Chelsea. And a guy in, Black, in Blackpool? Oh, he's got no chance. All no chance. Big and chips and all that. It's yeah. 68 years. I think it's a 27-year difference. For a 200 mile journey, and when we should all be, everyone in Blackpool should go to uh, Kensington and Chelsea. But I mean, obviously, what that tells you is we're in a huge, huge mess. As Andrew Marr said, it's not that the NHS is on its knees, it's on its face. And why is that not a massive, massive point of attack for the Labour Party? Why are they having to construct some weird factoid about the number of people who've got away with attacks on underage kids. As awful as that is, it's a weird thing to blame that, to pin, try and pin that onto Rishi Sunak, when actually Rishi Sunak has been Chancellor for quite a while. He's been part of an absolutely core part of a government that has delivered the mess that our NHS is in. And there are some striking statistics about it, and that is just amazing. A 27-year gap in life expectancy and the very notion that the Tories you know the goal that they had to come up with the idea of levelling up but the, the fact that you need levelling up is an admission of just outright failure you know it's um, actually even worse because in Kensington and Chelsea there are some very poor pockets I'm sure whose life expectancy is very low yeah who so brought the, down that average yeah in the yeah. rich bits it's even bigger I would imagine yeah I mean he was he would be my 30 seconds take on the Tories they were elected in 2010. They gave us rubbish coalition, austerity, the destruction of our public services, the destruction of our public institutions. They gave us Brexit. They gave us uh, Boris and his law-breaking. They gave us trust and our economic chaos. They gave us Theresa May and her absolute nonsense. They Even now, we're spending more on failure than we are on investing in the future of the country because of the mess they've put us in. And yet along comes this guy who's been along that journey and fully behind all of that all the way, mm. who pretends that he's just turned up, you know, out mm. of nowhere and is a nice bloke, really, mm. and is going to sort all this mess out mm. that he has, in fact, created. Mm. That is a kind of insane scenario, isn't it? As you're saying, it just seems mad. And then on top of that, for Labour's one thing that it's got out 
I do feel sorry because, you know, it's a struggle to get a message out, but the one thing Labour's got across is that he's possibly a paedophile supporter. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of weird, isn't it, if you look at it kind of, you know, logically. Yeah. You know, the NHS is on its arse, the teachers have been treated terribly, strikes all over the shop, holes in the bloody roads, everything's, you know, it's a broken environment and getting worse by the minute. And all Labour can come up with is, my dad was a toolmaker and that bloke's a paedophile. I mean, it just doesn't feel... No. Maybe the, maybe the a way to think about it is, how has it come about? What is, you know, if we were Sunak's advisors, we might be thinking, well, the poll lead is still looking terrifying. Although, if you look at the, the poll, the Labour versus Tory graphs, and the poll of polls, you know, if there's a narrowing of the gap, gentle narrowing of the gap, basically since the the Windsor Agreement, whatever they called it, just beginning to, to narrow. And actually, if you plot those lines forward a year, it's gone. The gap <laughs> is gone. So I mean, obviously anything could happen, but that's not comfortable. And the, but we would be we would be very pleased. So okay, that the gap is narrowing. It's a long old journey, wouldn't we, if we were his advisors? But the, the one thing we've got is that, you know, and if you look back at the history of British elections, it's all about the leader. And the one thing we've got is leadership polling ahead of their guy. Yep, 100%. Certainly close and actually a little bit ahead. So, you know, there's reasons to be cheerful. But but you'd also be saying, we've pulled a fast one here. We've done it, haven't we? We've got our guy to look clean and new, fresh, reset the relationship with the European Union. You can yeah. find solutions to intractable problems. The, all the, the past doesn't stick to him, even though he was the, the loudest proponent of, of many of many parts of what's caused the mess that we're in. How have they done that? Because if we could see how they've done that, maybe we could begin to help better people do that. I mean, I would say... You're 100% right. I would say, look, in the, on the Labour versus Tories, the Labour brand is still toxic. People still think, what a bunch. But they're only, at worst, probably about 20 points behind. Mm. And Labour needs to be 12 points ahead to get a majority of one. Mm. So the gap is actually not 20, but eight, and it may not even be eight. Yeah. And it's gently, as you say, shelving... Down and they've got a year and a half of running the agenda yeah. to, to try and close that yeah. gap. So, if you're the Tories, you you're not. I don't think you are worried. I think you're. I think you're feeling pretty chipper, as you say. Uh, and Rishi is get things done, bloke. He's a he's a fix it guy, and he's said his five things. He'll probably be all right on the economy because without the, them actively messing it up, it will probably improve a little bit. 50% of people think they're right on immigration and mm -hmm. their worry is that they just won't see it through. He's definitely feels like a fresh-faced, young, energetic guy. And it is a total stitch-up, isn't it? It's a total put-up job because that's not who he is at all. But Labour, I, th I think Labour, first of all, there is no definition of what Labour is. I couldn't tell you what it is. I couldn't even particularly tell you what it's for or against. I think in terms of leadership, Starmer now looks pretty flat-footed compared to Sunak. And his one response, meaningful response, really, since Sunak's come in, is to call him a pedo. I can't see that that's a winning formula. What, what should they do? 
I would change leader and I would go with a new fresh team and a, possibly led by you know the economic guys who were at first class and I would tell a new story about Labour that actually you know Keir was the transitional person to get us out of Corbyn world he did a brilliant job at that but now we're all, we're all about winning elections we're going to get ruthless we're going to be strong and we're mm. going to go all guns blazing because mm. there's so much at stake. Mm. <laughs> They've had, how many, five leaders now in this term of government? It's what it's part of what they do when they're in the do-do. They switch the leader and they change it up and make it feel different. Mm. As things stand, I think Starmer is on a losing trail. Mm. And I can't see how he's going to... You could give him all the advice in the world, but you know, tell him more stories about his, his dad and the tool shop, or chucking a couple of ads out. It's just not gonna. I no. don't think it's just not gonna change no. the no, conversation. It isn't. It isn't. It's because that's the first time I've heard you say that, and it's a little bit of a shock to hear it. I think um, I could have imagined that, that towards the end, the back end of last year, before the conference, you know, so the summer months, you could have imagined that there was this sort of feeling in the party the parliamentary party and that actually maybe it was time done a good job and maybe it was time to at least change strategy if not change leader but he did well in the conference and I think that enabled him to just, you know strengthen his position it's hard to see how he gets knocked off the off the poll position now given the, the polling lead quite hard to see if there being enough momentum behind a change yeah it's t- of course and, until true. it's too yeah. late until it's too late so probably I suppose I do think, I mean, you're right, the way the Tories win is by, um, I think it's probably self-branded, you know, the, the most successful political party in history. The way they do it is by never looking back and um, taking their prisoners and away we go, we reinvent and off we go again. And we aren't as good at, you know, we wait till we've lost to make a change rather than trying to win, making change to try and win. That is hundred percent right, and that's yeah. um, that's that's a bit of a shame, really. I reckon your to your point about you know who is this guy Keir? He seems to be very sort of mild mannered. You know he has he has sort of technical arguments um, in Parliament, but doesn't you know has never stooped so low as to sort of do particular name calling and stuff. And but I wish and I bid for more of the name calling in you know to want to put it bluntly in Parliament. You know, just more of sort of throwing your hands up and saying, "Who are these guys? What are you now? What are you suggesting?" You know, mm. Yesterday, this is brilliant, brilliant um, tweeter called Russ in Cheshire, who's written a book called a, a Decade in Tory. Who I don't know if he still does it. Used to write a week in Tory. Have you, have you ever come across him on Twitter? I have come across him, but I'm not very Twitter. No, person. so he in Pete Johnson era, he would. Start, you know, so you're, it's Wednesday, right? And you're, you're reading his A Weekend Tory, and he describes to you, uh, you know, maybe in across 30 tweets. So on Monday morning, the Tories said X, and then by lunchtime, they changed their mind and it was Y. Then after lunch, it was X again, and they were absolutely adamant that they were going to do this. But then by Tuesday morning, they'd forgotten that and they were on to something else. And you, you read the and the mad switcheroo and outrageous stuff that they were saying. You remember that? Said, yeah, that's right. On Monday, they said, what happened to that? Because then they said something. And as you sort of follow these tweets, 
you go back on this journey that you'd had of listening to the news and hearing these weird pronouncements and put together one next to the other with great wit and brilliant overview. It looked like what it was, which is total chaos, absolute chaos. And you get to sort of breathlessly to the end of 30 tweets and then they say, and it's still only Wednesday. And you think, oh my God, <laughs> there's another two and a half days of this madness. So there was an example, even if you couldn't think of it yourself, you could have lifted those tweets and said, so, uh, for question time, said so. Yeah, Monday last, you said this. Yeah, yeah then you said this. And, you know, what's going on in your government? It's chaos, isn't it? And what are, what are the British people meant to think about that? And just to be just disparaging, a disparaging tone, he always respectfully called him the Prime Minister, even when the Prime Minister was calling him Captain Hindsight and mm. whatever, human bollard and whatever he called him. Even just saying this Prime Minister, you know, which has that kind of subtle undertone of... Yeah, or there'll the be another one. Minister. Yeah, there'll yeah. be another one along the scene. <laughs> but it has a kind of this so-called Prime Minister quality to it. But he didn't do that. He just kind of held a kind of much more dignified line and I reckon the madness that they've been getting up to actually merits a hands in the air. What are you saying now? Response, which we didn't get. It was like, his response was more like, well, on paragraph three of page five of what you said, I notice a discrepancy. How are you going to explain that? <laughs> Instead of saying, in political terms, what the actual fuck are you doing? And I don't know why they didn't do that. It was a tonal choice. See, I don't think it was a choice, actually. I just think it's who he, who he probably is. You know, mm. his career has been not to call people out, but to actually manoeuvre a few inches to the left and a few yeah. to the right, and then a gap opens and you move yeah. to the next level. Yeah. So his whole career has been not doing, specifically not mm. doing that. And yeah, look, we've had the worst government that we've probably ever had. And mm. most people would probably mm. agree with that thought. Mm. And we haven't been able to figure out how to... Land a punch. Land that on mm. them. Not a single punch, really. And now we're reduced to a bloke who we thought was very respectful and nice and quite mm. quiet, you know, bank manager. Um, suddenly, out of nowhere, calls him a pedo. I mean, mm. imagine a guy in the pub and you're like, you know, oh, look, there he is. There's mm. Keir, the bank manager, and he's quite nice and he's always respectful. And he suddenly shouts out, you're a pedo <laughs> in the pub. I mean, you would wonder what's going on, wouldn't you, really? Yeah. But that's what's basically happened. Yeah. So are you, are, you, are you coming back round then? Where are you then? Because that makes it sound like it's bonkers, doesn't it? I mean, I think, in truth, I think it, it was very wordy, kind of nasty, mm. um, below that watermark of, you know, that line of okayness as an execution. I think it was probably not okay as a thing. So I would like defend to the hilt, attack, 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 and, you know, come off our high horse and all of that. But I would vote for doing it with a bit more, first of all, a bit more coherency that it comes out of a thought process. Secondly, there's a bit more wit to it, maybe, you know, a bit more imagination so that it feels in character and in, within our culture rather than just out of nowhere. And I also think... Calling That's someone a sex offender or a yeah. supporter of sex is just a bit rubbish, actually. Yeah. yeah. But I still defend it. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, though. One of the things we've really missed is wit. You know, if we had a sense of humour in any of this debate, we might be in a better place. It's so dry. It is dry. It? Do you remember when Keir gave that, um, gave that speech in which he said, 
um, one of the things that my dad and Johnson's dad, Boris Johnson's dad, had in common was, you know, he went and my dad was a toolmaker. And um, <laughs> it was just like, it was brilliantly delivered, the idea that Johnson's dad had made a tool. And, um, but then you think, well, I don't know, I can't remember the other, last time he ever told a joke. Certainly one that landed, you know, and I just think, um, I don't know, just just been so so dry and so cerebral and it feels kind of soulless doesn't it it feels like where what is this thing i mean i'm going to be controversial here so i'm just going to make a noise for a second what's that you're getting your sweeties out yeah just one sweet what have you got what is it no, nice. no, it's non-smoking oh, okay uh i'm going to be brutal now so i've probably now ruined any chance i've ever got of having involvement with starmer world we've right? both done that yeah we're both out for good now. When I think, if I try and get a picture of what Keir Starmer is, all I can see is a. That's all I can see, and I don't know why exactly. <laughs> Mark, I can't. I'm going to have to bleep that out. I can't let you see. I can't. I'm going to. I. <laughs> I'm going to save you from yourself and bleep that out. I think because, you know, it's sort of brown. It's sort of not, you know, it doesn't stand out. It's not a very particular thing. You know, it's sort of comforting, but it's not that great. It's probably a bit flaky, I suppose. You Maybe, I don't know. I mean, I haven't thought about it in any detail. But I just see a s- And I just think, oh, God. <laughs> that is what I think yeah. when I think about it. Yeah. What do you think? Well, that is, you know, if you've got that picture in your head, it's kind of hard to be disabused of it, isn't it? <laughs> but you've got it. What can you say, really? But what? how do you see... What's the mental image of Sunak? He is the weird kid in um, in Between Us. Yeah. Briefcase wanker. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know why... Or Friday Night Dinner, whatever that yeah. show was. Yeah, let's make him that. Why, I mean, he is that. Yeah. I mean, the door is open. He is the weird, posh kid from the weird, posh school who's got no connection with the real world. You've said it before very well. You know, he doesn't know how to pay with a credit card. He's, he's, he's asking the homeless why they're not working in investment banking. Oh, someone's coming on the hotline. Um, Do you want to take that? Uh, I, I, uh, I should, but I'm going to say no. It's the Labour Party to say, with friends like you guys, who are these enemies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 how would you do... What is Keir Starmer for you and how would you do Rishi and what's Rishi for you and what, what should they be? I think for Keir Starmer for me is, I don't see, you know, I, I would never see someone as a, an animate object so I wouldn't have a sort of comparative sandwich or anything. He feels headmasterly to me, he feels like a head teacher in a hmm. middle of the road. Probably a public school. Probably a public school, I think so, yeah, private school but not one of the one of the ones you'd heard of um, being cruel. It's just like he... I mean, he's like he's got a r*** up his ass, isn't he? Just like, mate, just let go for a minute and have a laugh and let rip. Say what you really mean. It's like he's not saying what he really means, ever. Say what you really mean. You don't, you're don't. you not being the headmaster today. You can let go of that. Mm. Who are you? You know, who? what are you like when we're not in school, right? If I had to fake... Um, my kids have been talking a lot about encountering teachers out of school and how my eldest sister was the teacher of my younger the younger two okay, girls at yeah. school and they had to call her Mrs Jeffrey and 
And I think it was their sister. And they, one of them hated it and the other one was right. But I think it just blows kids' minds when they first encounter teachers out in the world <laughs> and they realise they're just normal people because they, they just can't cope with it, can they? And I just feel like he's the guy we've never seen him out of his jacket and tie and being a real bloke. And it's a weird thing. It's like he's hiding behind his office somehow. And do you remember when we were saying, you know, he actually plays football? Mm. Remember, we were trying to think, how do we show people that he's a normal bloke? And one of the ways that, you know, you make someone relatable is, you know, through sport and whatever. And, And actually, at the time when we were having this conversation, Boris Johnson was busy making sure that he was on social media, seemed to be watching England and cheering Cheering the team on. When you know he has no connection with football whatsoever. And Keir Starmer was nowhere to be seen when, in fact, he plays football every week. And he's a proper fan. And actually actually knows about football. So uh, I guess... It's just like he's straight-jacketed himself into this role. Mm. And someone needs to rip that off and say, mate, let it go. Let's just let it go. Just be a bit more who you are. Be yourself. And maybe part of our of the, the hue and cry for what does Keir Starmer really stand for, maybe part of it is who, who is he, who really is he, rather than what does he stand not just what does he stand for. It's like, I don't know who you are because I feel like you're a guy with a suit with, you know, behind the headmaster's desk. And you've got to tell me off in a stern voice because you're the head. Yeah. And I've got to call you yes or no. It's always the professional voice in a way. Like, you say, is that exactly yeah. right? Yeah. Saying the professional things. It's not... Yeah. yeah you it's don't like, really get beyond that. Yeah, it's just let go. When, when have you let go? And, but um, some people don't let go, you know. I mean, that's so why they become head teachers, you know. Yeah. <laughs> they just don't let go. No. I think that's who he is. I think... I sort of think it's not that we don't know him I actually think we do know him you think that's who he is <laughs> that's who he is yeah and yeah we can have a bit of a more relaxed version of that and that would be a great help you know and there's a yeah. hundred other things that you and I discussed that we could make improvements on but there sort of comes a point when you just think well that's actually him who you are you know yeah and it's it's a forlorn hope to, to try and change him like Ed Miliband I, I went round and spoke to his school friends about who he was I think it's so illuminating to try and find the school person and you know show me the boy and I'll show you the man sort mm-hmm. of thing and the abiding memory for me of that is one of his mates said yeah he was the weird kid in purple flares who used to stand on his own in the playground <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I just have thought about Ed Miliband as that ever mm. since that's he is the mm. weird kid in the flares purple flares on his own in the playground and, you know, who was Tony there? He was probably the the posh, because he was a posh school, posh, coolish posh kid, you know, who was quite popular mm. and liked being popular and probably made a job out of being popular and needed to be loved, you know. Yeah. And that was probably him. And that's, you know. Yeah. I don't know what Gordon was. I'd love to know what Gordon Brown was as a kid. I can't see Gordon Brown as a kid. I think he was born as an adult, but I'm not sure. Well, probably nobody saw him. He was probably holed up in a sea of books, wasn't yeah. he? <laughs> so, you know, maybe there is no other Keir to reveal. I think also we understand that persuading him to reveal it would be quite hard, so it's sort of a moot point. Um, yeah. You couldn't train him into revealing it, could you? I mean... You could a bit, but it's not really going to happen. If it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. It's too late now. 
um, someone said of our podcast about voices that it would be weird if he changed his voice now and you think well you're only talking about half a semitone no one would yeah. actually notice no one would notice but um but actually there's a kind of sense in which people have made their minds up about who he is and, and who he isn't and that they don't it's like i don't know what you stand for and I'm, in a way i'm not even going to listen anymore that's 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 the bit that's frightening as you talk about the best strategy for labor being to change the leader mm. actually feels a bit like it might be it might be right because Keir's not going to be a different guy anymore is he going to care for his way to victory against Rishi Sunak could be wrong he could do it I'll be over the moon if he did it me too but it doesn't feel like he's going to care for his way to victory does it does it feel like this shuffling side shuffling thing is going to do it it's the Ming Wells approach isn't it we just keep on doing what we're doing and Oh, and then, and then in that in that world, this whole attack ad thing was just a bit of a cock up by the media team, <laughs> isn't it? That's actually what you it was. I mean, in truth, right? I don't. I think could you see Keir Stone going? Oh, yeah, let's do an advert about Rishi being a paedophile. I'm up for that. I mean, you just can't see no, that. No. So as you talk about it, as you talk about it, you know it's a fuck up, right? I, I deliberately didn't call on because I don't want to put people on the spot sort of call the people that I know, I don't know whether you did, and say, what What do you think? Is this a big cock-up? A, a, what do you think? Is it ridiculous? And B, do you think it was planned or was it a mistake? Because I just thought, I don't know where, I don't know where I don't want to hear it. I don't want to put I'll put people on the spot and yeah, it's off pretty, the record. Yeah, it's a pretty rough question. It's a rough ask. question, yeah. But, um, and I think we've kind of answered it, haven't we? Where do you think it? Do you think it means Labour will be less likely to attack now, or more likely to attack um, on balance? Well, I think I think it sort of depends on what the verdict is on what's happened so far, and it feels a bit like they've kind of gotten away with it, haven't they? It feels a bit like they they doubled down, and that probably was the right mm. approach, and then closed up, and and then and shut it down for a bit, and think think carefully. But then, given that they have got away with it, maybe. They might say, okay, let's do more of that, but let's do it more intelligently or more carefully. And for, for fuck's sake, let's make sure we've all signed off on it. But, you know, the the core issue remains of pinning the Tory mess on the Tory leader. They've got to do that. And that hasn't gone away. So, yeah, I think they will. And I do. I think they will. And, they, and maybe you and I would be pleased because we both do really, we do think gloves off is better than gloves on. Do, yeah. Just better. Just better just savvier street fighting and also the search for for me the search for a defining image to pin them with would be a search I would be on you know what are the things you remember of previous political campaigns you remember William Hague with Margaret Thatcher's hair you probably remember that that was quite funny and you know a bit sort of biting you remember the tax bombshell. You remember the, the dull queue and Britain isn't working. Mm. You know, we obviously we remember thing in, things in visuals. Mm. And it is really interesting that actually visuals, there is no visual stuff really happening. Even the Rishi Sunak had, he had his face on it and the, and the words um, sexual offenders next mm. to his face, but it mm. wasn't a vi- really a particularly visual no. thing. And I wonder why. I wonder why that is. I don't know why yeah. that is, but it's interesting that there are. We're not producing visuals either side, actually. No, and there's certainly positive visuals that. You know, I think we've got the strength that the 
opposition has got over the government is in the in the look of the team. For sure. Um, and it's not often you can say that because quite often Labour looks like a right old mess, doesn't it? But actually, I reckon if you got the, the key front bench players together in a shot with Kia, you'd think, actually, those guys look pretty good to me. Whereas if you put the, the um, principal members of the cabinet together with Rishi Sunak, it looks a pretty miserable looking bunch of failed and nasty people. I mean, that is actually, that is a visual right there, right? So when the Breverman, Jacob Rees-Mogg, all those right-wing nutters, and then this weird Rishi, you know, at the helm of that, mm. against what is for sure a pretty competent, pretty decent, pretty capable Labour team. Rachel Reeves for sure, you know, but also... I mean, Angela Rayner actually has performed very well, and you know mm. they've, they've got a strong group. They have now that they haven't had for some time. The quality of the team across the board is quite surprising. Yeah. I think um, what so that's um, Starmer. How should what is who is Sunak? And you're right, he looks like a. It's weird because he sort of looks like a kid, and it's not just to do with size; it's to do with fresh faced. His demeanour also, he looks yeah. like pleasantly surprised or a bit too eager when he's like with serious states people. He looks like he's sort of beaming, you know. Yeah. Like a, like the weird kid on the yeah. thing he would do. He looks overexcited, doesn't over-excited, he? Overexcited, he yeah. Yeah, he doesn't have that kind of statesman sit gravitas to him. He's got no gravitas. I mean, he, he is the captain of a ship of fools, isn't he? He really is. And that doesn't mean that even if he looks all right and seems fairly reasonably competent, all he's really doing is keeping an absolutely terrible ship full of ridiculous mad things afloat. That's all he's really... Do- he's not doing really anything else than that. He's not even really driving the ship, is he? It's like he's got one of those kids' wheels at the front. It does feel like that. I'm the captain of the ship. <laughs> yeah. I am. I am. And it's daft to think of him as, you know, he's a... Serious, you know, he's an educated bloke, and but that he does seem like he's suddenly got hold of a tiller, and it's a and it's a game. That's what I was trying to capture mm. before, was that the truth is he can, you know, to extend that naval analogy, when they get the ship back to Portsmouth, he'll go to his country home. That's all happened with Rishi when he stopped being prime minister. He'll go off and maybe do a bit more hedge funding or whatever, but he'll be in his home in Santa Monica or in his place in Yorkshire where it's got sort of the mains adapted to eat his swimming pool and sit and watch his portfolio his wife's portfolio gathering ten percent per annum and absolutely have forgotten that the the mad journey when he was captain for the real people below decks will be have no resonance for him and that's the thing that it isn't to me about whether you're rich or poor, it's about whether you really convey that you understand who you're leading. And what's happening to the country. And yeah. it, it just doesn't feel like it at all. It feels like a game. It feels like a bit of fun. And he just doesn't have the sobriety and gravitas to match the situation that, that we're in, which is, like, really, really, really bad. It's really true that he feels... He, he feels what he is. He's a lightweight for these serious times. But then I think if you just made it a choice between leaders... You've got a fresh-faced, bright, posh, young lieutenant suddenly at the tiller mm. who actually has managed to do a few OK things. He stopped all the sails flapping crazily around and, he, you know, he yeah. steadied it a little. 
which is enough in this environment to seem like a lot. And the other bloke, you just feel like he's about to return to this sort of crumbling public school in Yorkshire with the dusty hallways and and that's who he is and he's just going to go back to like now turn to page 16 yeah <laughs> you know yeah and if that's your choice then Rishi wins but Rishi at, at the helm of a parcel of maniacs which is what they are versus actually a really grown up smart mm. intelligent group that is a much better choice yeah. to be offering isn't yeah. it you're so right yeah so well that's a little piece of that you could turn into advice from the Fellini-esque cabinet bunch of ne'er-do-wells and failures on one, on the one side to actually, as you said, competent, decent folk on the other side. Just the imagery of that on its own. And I think I've mentioned this before. There was a photo when Keir did his reshuffle and he put Yvette Cooper and Lammy and Cohen and, and I think Rachel Reeves into their roles. An accidentally great picture, I think, of them crossing a street in Westminster with four or five of them together. Uh, and they looked purposeful and serious. And you thought, oh, that's a good, that's, a, that's an interesting reshuffle. And those guys could be great in those jobs. And I think that's still true down the line. In fact, even a little bit more true, given some of the stuff that they've been saying in their roles, compared to the cast of the Fellini movie on, on the other side. I don't know why why we can't see a little bit more of that. And I think you're seeing quite a bit of tens of seconds or less snippets of Kieran and Rachel with hard hats and, and yet another factory. I'm not sure that stuff really, I mean, it doesn't do any harm. I'm not sure it really presents you with a different visual. I think that's right, isn't it? Not only is there not a sort of political narrative or sense of a journey, there isn't actually a visual narrative and you could get quite far with just a visual narrative mm. that could help you with the sense of the journey mm. and it feels all a bit kind of yesterday's style doesn't it and a little bit like I've seen all this before well the hit hard hat stuff yeah, yeah and it it's a little bit like you know the Ford the Henry Ford thing if I asked a hundred people what they wanted they would say faster horses mm. you know and he goes and invents the car you know yeah. I mean that's where you want to be. You want to be feel like you're a bit inventive and a bit new and not like we haven't quite seen this before. It is something fresh. And actually part of the reason why I think Labour does feel a bit flat-footed and unimaginative is because it's been quite flat-footed and unimaginative. Mm. It needs a visual drive, doesn't it? You know, why aren't we... Sit, like, what a great shot. I can see it. I haven't seen the film the five of them fanning out purposefully mm. heading mm. to sort shit out you know great yeah. I'd, I'd like to love to see that mm. but I haven't seen it all I've got is um <laughs> wish he's a pedo <laughs> yeah but it, you know even if it was just you and me with a decent stills camera you could get all better looking members of the shadow cabinet and recreate a kind of reservoir dogs poster shot where these guys are coming be awesome be fantastic, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'd be awesome. Um, but it'd be better than nothing, because at the moment what we've got is nothing. And even if they take the piss out of it, you know, in fact, great if they took the piss out of it. Um, yeah, and the picture sinks in. And the picture, the picture works, yeah. But there's another dimension to this, though, Mark, and it's the red wall, isn't it? Mm. We've, I'm going to go off on one now, because we've characterised the choice for Labour as being between carrying on with 
the Ming vase and saying nothing to upset the red wall and indeed the worst of these attack ads throwing red meat to the red wall mm. whose voters are seen as socially very conservative or coming up with new attractive policies which presumably would have an appeal more towards core voters who are socially more tolerant, more liberal. And there's been an assumption all along that Labour can try to please the Red Wall or, if you're in the Deborah Mattinson school, that Labour must appeal to the Red Wall without shedding core voters. You know, the, the assumption being that socially liberal folk no matter how much they howl at policies which seem hard on the less fortunate, will always, in the end, vote Labour. Because where else are they going to go? <laughs> and to be honest, as cynical as that sounds, I think it might be good thinking. Um, but only so far, because it doesn't include in the calculus those people who might want to come across to from the Tories who aren't in the Red Wall, by which... I mean, people who are aghast at the way the Tories have messed up the economy of the country and treated the less well-off so abysmally, and they want to feel good about coming across to Labour. And the issue for them is they might not be socially conservative folk. They're economically conservative, yeah, but needing to, you know, they need to know that Rachel Reeves and Pat McFadden are going to manage the economy sensibly. Yeah. But... I think these folk, and because I know some of them, and I'm sure you do too, want compassionate politics alongside their conservative economics. And I'm not sure what the current strategy offers them, not not much. And if you add in the general sensation that Rishi is much like Keir, sensible and fair guy, then maybe they'll stick in their existing camp and not take the risk. That's my worry. And if you add in these attack ads implying that Sunak is cool with sexual predators. I'm not sure you're doing anything to win those guys over. And unfortunately, there are high-profile Labour policies which seem targeted at making them, precisely these voters, feel unwanted. And I'm thinking particularly of the policy to put that on school fees and take away the charitable status of schools. Um, and though I don't think those policies are about you know, you could debate the rights and wrongs, but I don't think the way they've been presented, those policies, is is that they're about fairness. I think they're about poking um, private school parents in the eye um, and saying, um, you know, because I think if you said, look, you're earning a lot of money, there's a problem with social justice in the country, a problem with the, with the public services, the NHS and all of that, so, you know, you're a high earner, we're going to tax you a little bit more. They'd be fine with that. I think they'd actually positively vote for it. Um, and it might say it cost a high earner 20, 30 grand a year. Um, way more than that on school fees for their kids. But they wouldn't be feeling targeted and they wouldn't... You know, because I think what, what this policy is about is about saying, we don't like you. We don't like you and your privilege and your choices. And I'm sure it's... Um, it plays well in focus groups, but actually, um, I think the that this class of people that I'm talking about, who are economically conservative but socially liberal, it's just there to piss them off, and it doesn't do anything to help bring them across. And I think actually, they're maybe the people who um, where the work needs to be done. 
these are the people who think, well, um, you know, I want to see a difference between, I reckon Sunak's kind of all right, isn't he? And I want to see a difference between him and Starmer before I'm going to switch camp. Um, and I'm, all I'm seeing at the moment is similarities between the two of them. Um, and one of them's got this sort of politics of envy sting in the tail. So maybe I'll just stick in the camp that I'm in. Thanks very much. And that's the, that's the worry for me. And I just think there's a case for focusing at least as much on these soft Tory supporters who quite like Sunak and figuring out how to, figuring out how to link them, sorry, figuring out how to link him in their minds to the country's woes and how to bring them over to Starmer's Labour. And that work doesn't appear to have even started because, because of the focus on the Red Wall. <clears throat> I think we'll probably, no doubt, we'll come back to that again and again. But there we are, that's my, just, I've unloaded. Um, shall we call it a day? Shall I wrap up or do you want to do the honours? I mean, just even for my own interest, I'll never, because I think a lot of the things you said have been super interesting. So there is an idea that if you're going to come off the moral high ground and attack, that you don't have to do it all yourself, but you can use outriders, outriders and, and associated groups and mm. to test things and, and push things. And if you're going to attack him, you don't have to do it in such a kind of front-on style, and that's maybe better. Mm. And it can be done in a more imaginative and hopefully witty way that's sort of more us as a country almost, you know. Mm. Humour is the way that we mm. um, take people down very often. Mm. And that Labour can find a fresh wind in its sails if it thinks about a different kind of a narrative, not just trying to sell Starmer, really. And that it has to find a way at some point soon to sort of visualise and embody something that feels new and fresh and interesting and good. And that you don't have to have a load of policies to flesh that out. You will have to have them ultimately. But that actually the, the beginning of that visual journey and painting a different sort of a picture for people could be really good. And we can't let Sunak get away with, I'm the fresh new guy on the block, when in fact he's the weird kid from the in-betweeners who's accidentally become captain of a ship of maniacs. And if you say that to people, you know, there'll be a way of saying that connects with people because they know it's true. Uh, and we can't let him get away with that idea because it's, it's a scam. And that street fighting is good, definitely, but maybe calling him a pedo is not the way mm. you're going to win this thing. Mm. And if that was Labour's idea, you probably would have rolled it out in a different way, mm. in a more cohesive way, and that it's probably got out there somehow, and he's had to own it because he's got no choice. Mm. And it would be fascinating to see what the polls tell us about it. But the drift is, as you correctly sort of laid out, Rishi's on the, on the up, and a gentle shelf upwards. Mm. The Tory brand is still toxic, but the gap is not so big that it's not um, closable in some way and that that is extremely dangerous mm. and has to be addressed because if you let that drift too much, mm. you, won't, you won't get it back again. Wow. That is, that is a very good summary of what we've said. And that's a wrap. You've been listening to Electioneering with Mark Lucas and me, Dominic Mingella. Electioneering is an Island Pictures production and our audio ident is composed by Andy Price. <laughs>